You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. This is a reading of a cycle of lectures by Rudolf Steiner entitled Rethinking Economics. This is part two, a set of seminars. This is the sixth and last seminar in the last reading of this book, given in Dornach on August 5th, 1922. Question concerning the depreciation of money. Will it gradually depreciate also as purchase money? Rudolf Steiner. As purchase money... It has the same value until the end. This question is more a technical one concerning its circulation, a question of how. The gradual depreciation of money is not easy to imagine. It would require an extraordinarily bureaucratic system. I would emphasize that I do not want to proceed in a programmatic way, that I want only to acknowledge what is, because I recognize that we cannot establish a paradise on earth with economic methods. That would not be possible. But we must try to create the best possible situation. Now, one has to ask oneself why we have less than the best possible situation today. It comes about because the various factors of the economy cannot achieve their true value in one place or another. Because today it is quite possible that spiritual cultural workers are by no means paid in the way that is necessary for the whole economy. They are paid either too much or too little. Both things do occur. But if they are paid too little, they immediately cause prices to change in an unhealthy way because of their low pay. And it is the same if they are paid too much. This needs to be corrected. And it is only a question, without regard to what Wilhelm Förster would say, of what factors would restore commercial balance in the economic life. Thus, trade will arise in which there are mutually tolerable prices, not only for goods, but also for the cultural as well as the necessary spiritual intellectual life. From this it directly follows that money must get old. It is just a matter of how this can be technically carried out. You would be able to bring about a gradual depreciation of money in no other way than by attaching coupons to the paper money, that have to be torn off at specific times by a public official. This would result in a very complicated bureaucracy. But it is really never a question of carrying out the depreciation with such external means, but that this valuation is brought about by itself through the actual course of events. This will happen when you more or less simply give money of all kinds a characteristic of change, I mean, insofar as it has an end point. Of course, this cannot be calculated abstractly, but assuming there is a particular moment, it can, to begin with, only be approximately determined. Then one needs to make corrections until the situation eventually comes to a possible end point. Then it would be a matter of again finding out for the whole, for, excuse me, for the world economy, what was fundamentally already there as a widespread local economy. Because this is the way the Jubilee in the Old Testament was celebrated, which is something very similar to the aging of money, 
the remission of all debts. With the radical remission of all debts, all harmful loans and investments also disappear. You will recall the length of time between jubilee years. They occurred every fifty years. This jubilee year, year, in contrast to what would be necessary today for the world economy, was determined a priori, simply by fixing the patriarchal age. For the moment, I do not recall if it is so stated in the Bible, but in any case it was originally the custom to thus fix the human lifespan. It was correctly calculated that if one takes the whole course of a human life, then everything is contained there. What in youth is there as gift capital, then is there as loan capital and business capital, that is, commercial or industrial capital. It was assumed that one had a right to consume in youth what one later earns during one's mature years, and then one earns somewhat less toward the end of life. At some time this was looked upon as a kind of borrowing. Now you see, this was a priori. This would not take place in the world economy in this way. The time periods would be considerably prolonged. But it is also quite clear that when the gradual devaluation of the money begins, this will occur by itself through circulation, because the year it was issued would be printed on the banknote. In actual economic circulation, such money will not have a lower purchase value, but a lower value for any organizational use. The older it gets, the lower is its use value. So, that through the decrease in its use value, it can gradually become gift money, and can then be reissued as young, that is, new money, again. That must be done only by the association. For products that are as close as possible to nature products, the work then has its highest value, although the worker is not paid any more than anyone else, according to the price formula. But in the economic activity, it has the highest value. Only one part goes to the one who is working. The rest goes entirely into the economic process. The possibility to enrich one's own self has thus been taken away from the individual. Question. How can money be used in different ways if it has the same purchasing power when it is young and when it is old? Rudolf Steiner. If you start a business with young money, then because it is young, you can invest it in this business over a long time, whereas with old money, you could not run it in the same way over a long period. The question is not recorded. Rudolf Steiner You mean that once I have acquired my means of production, I then have them instead of the money, and someone else has the money that I spent. The money that has now been spent on the production must, of course, remain there. Under certain circumstances, this money can be transformed. It would not be in so far as it could be spent by the owner. But what is in the production is a question of circulation. This would not involve a great bureaucracy, because the associations would see to it that within similarly based enterprises, nothing is used except money of the same age. Therefore, the money merges with the means of production. This does not contradict the other law where the means of production as such lose their former value as commodities. These two provisions coincide here. This is so also today, except that it is concealed. The money that was lent for production does not come back. It stays in production. It is retained only because the means of production can be sold again. 
But if one imagines the means of production as something that one does not sell, then the money stays in there at the same age. One must think realistically. Then the question would never arise, how does one manage to make the money in there stay the same age? But one will say this must happen, this step must simply be taken. This is an outer technical question. Of course, you might say there is a certain possibility that such things are circumvented by speculation. But speculation would surely be much less likely to occur in this type of community than in one in which money has an indefinitely long life. In reality, money becomes worn out anyway. Otherwise, that Pomeranian peasant could be right who asks himself, quote, How large is the Prussian national debt? I will invest a little capital at compound interest for a certain number of years that would cover the debt. Close quote. This could never happen, because all those who would gradually become obliged to come up with this sum, which would require the appropriate security, would be ruined. Somehow the guarantors would disappear, and after hundreds of years Prussia would not see a penny of the money. You see, there that it does wear out, the actual money. It is only a matter of dealing with these things sensibly. These things really happen and then create harm because they are not handled sensibly. Therefore, I consider only what is real, not something that agitates about wanting it to be. Because the facts are there. It is a matter of having to ask oneself how one cures the world economy. Question. What is the relationship between money and the state? Rudolf Steiner. According to what I described yesterday, a national bank, a state bank, would be impossible. A banking institute would come about between those who have received gift money and those who through their work, namely cultivation of the soil, once more create new goods that are in their early stages. This rejuvenation would pass directly over from the state to the economy, and that represents what is necessary for the future. Through the fact that it passes into the economy, this measure to rejuvenate it would combine with other economic measures, but not with the state's rules. And thereby relationships to value would also come about, which are quite different from the ones that exist under the present fiscal system. We would then have something that already exists. Things are really hidden only because they do not occur in the right place. We would have converted a fiscal system into an economic one. The possibility for the treasury to function economically would be less than that of an economic association. Question. What would be the basis of a different currency? Rudolf Steiner. It would be brought about by making everything that is paper money and money substitutes very much alike. The great variations of today were created only by arbitrary rules and provisions. So the state banknotes and all other kinds of money substitutes would become much more alike. There would be a uniform currency. And it would not really matter what it was made of, because at the end of its process it receives a purely nominal character, and in being brought back it receives the metallic character that, that it would have to start with. The currency would be something constantly in flux, but adapted to the particular nature of the economic process. Question. At one, at one time, did you not praise the usable means of production as a basis for the currency? Rudolf Steiner. Let us ask, 
within such a period of time in which this change to a particular money takes place, what provides the validity for it? It is given by what is there as usable means of production. Assuming there is very little there in the form of usable means of production, then things would have to be converted quickly. Money would pile up everywhere, and purchase money would return through the means of production, and so on. But if there are many usable means of production, the cycle would be different, and therefore the money would have an increased value. In this sense, money derives from means of production. Question. Would something solid like gold have to be used for the material? Rudolf Steiner. As far as I can see, the actual substance of the money is of no consequence, so that you could just as well put the year's date on paper, which would then determine the value. I cannot see the necessity of introducing a currency such as gold. It would be necessary only in the situation where specialized economies were being created. But to the extent that the world economy is actually a reality, it becomes ever more so to the extent that economics emancipates itself, it is possible to make the money out of any substance whatsoever. What does money then become when what I am saying is realized? Nothing but bookkeeping, which is done throughout the whole economic region. Because if you wanted to introduce a gigantic bookkeeping system, which is quite unnecessary, you could quite well register all this going back and forth of money in a single appropriate location. Then the entries would always appear in the appropriate place. What actually happens is nothing else than that the entry is torn out of its particular place and the one concerned is given a ticket so that the bookkeeping wanders around. Money is bookkeeping in a fluctuating sense. So I cannot see that it needs to have anything but a decorative value, whether it is made of one thing or another. Objection. Gold would provide a certain standard, Rudolf Steiner. That cannot be the case, and if it is, then the bookkeeping would show it. The essential thing is that all money transactions are a matter of bookkeeping, Instead of transferring an entry from the credit to the debit column, you must pay over the money. Objection. It should not be gold, because then the devaluation could be avoided, so that in the end the gold would be kept back. Rudolf Steiner. Assuming there is a buyer for the gold, there would have to be one. That is to say, the purchase would have to be advantageous one would then also have to make an unnecessary calculation, which would not be of any help. If, for example, one were to make a piece of jewelry out of the gold, one could use it for cheating. One needs to consider these things only with regard to the economy itself. If you consider them together, you will be able to evaluate these matters, which today are really based on partial observation and inadequate guesswork in dealing with the theory of economics. Here one always finds inadequate methods and faulty observation. Question. What kind of capital arose first in the economy, trading capital or industrial capital? Rudolf Steiner. Historically, of course, the business capital, and indeed trade itself, is essentially the very first commercial activity that must come about. Even today in primitive villages, you find relatively little business capital. 
The village craftspeople do not earn any more than the farmers. The merchants, on the other hand, are able to set money aside and therefore are in a position to make loans. And so it goes on, because no capital is created unless it is negotiable. Business capital arises only as a third stage. This is so connected with local customs that no rational grounds for it can be found at all. Question. Must Switzerland go in the direction of national or world economies, economics? Is there not a tendency in many countries to go back to national economics? Rudolf Steiner. You mean that Switzerland went over into the world economy too soon, and it turned out that it was not a good move for it? One cannot say that, because Switzerland was not able to test the rightness of the world economic system for its own economy in a natural way. For what you call the goodwill of its neighbors was brought about in an unnatural way by the war. Had it been able to continue to develop as it did until 1914, this would not have been to her disadvantage, but instead she would have continued her development. Of course, the same damage would have occurred, which at that time gradually revealed itself, and which indicated that one should have peacefully taken up associative economics. But the way matters stand now, one has to say, depends very little on Switzerland. Today, however, we are dealing with the tendency toward a world economy, but with continual disturbance from the political intentions of the economic areas that are striving toward nationalism. What harms the world economy today are the political intentions. Politics has begun to drive everything back to national economics once again. We cannot use Switzerland as an example here, because it is politically too powerless. Now and then Switzerland is allowed to have its say when we know it will say what we want it to say, and Switzerland also does say what we want it to. So Switzerland cannot be a valid example, but America can. America, which is decisively heading toward a national economic structure and is impeding the formation of a world economy. It could also, possibly, be very difficult to overcome this American tendency toward a national economic structure. On the other hand, in such a country that is organized as England is today, which has basically only a pseudo-national economy, but in reality a world economy, in such a country a tendency to a world economy would be able to develop. Because here you have England, over there India, South Africa, Australia and so forth. What is connected as a national economy basically extends over the whole world. In that way, England does not have the economy of the whole world, but it has the types and requirements of economy necessary in the whole world, which it must synthetically combine into what the spirit of world economy must, must become in a qualitative way. That is what quite essentially must lead to a world economy in the further course of economic development. And in time, the politics of North America will have to adjust to this, because the economy will simply make its very powerful demands to the hard-headed people, and they will have to accommodate themselves to the world economy. England could not move forward at all if it now also continued to work in a merely national economic fashion. So you must therefore discover the real antagonism between England and America. Switzerland is not relevant at all. Question. I cannot imagine how the precious stone in the crown of England 
could be said to derive its value from human work and not because of its rarity. Rudolf Steiner It is because economic value is created by the employment of human work or human intelligence slash spirit. Only through that are economic values created and also through the division of labor. If you now have to explain the value of this precious stone in England's crown, you must say that if it is possible to pick out from the continuous economic process values that are appropriated by an individual, then the value that was created there can in fact also be taken back by the one concerned. So that if in our present circumstances a man wants to keep back a million, he can do so. He can pile up the million. Then, for all I care, he can put the million in his socks. He can replace this, quote, putting the money in his socks, close quote, with a different action, by artfully ascribing to some rare product the same value as his own money, and so letting the money go back into circulation. Then, because purely conventionally and merely by his decree, he assigned such a value to this object, with his intellectual capacity he has assigned this particular value to it simply because he happened to take a liking to it. What happened here took place simply under the influence of perhaps not of spiritual cultural actions, but according to spiritual cultural rules. The concept of rarity dissolves itself into the economic concept of spirit or mind. Objections are brought up that are raised against the threefold social order. It is impossible to separate the three spheres. The task of threefolding could be not so much to build up as rather in a negative way to bring about separation where there exist harmful influences of the three spheres upon each other and thereby letting the work take its course. One cannot have any conception, especially concerning the boundaries of the three spheres. The economic life would thereby be limited to what is called technology. The thinking of people who make this objection is not sufficiently developed. This is generally the main defect of our teaching institutes of today. I'm going to say that that piece I just wrote, objections are brought up. Okay, so I think that's objections. And then Rudolf Steiner says, The thinking of people who make this objection is not sufficiently developed. This is generally the main defect of our teaching institutes of today, that they develop thinking much too little. People can only develop concepts that they can nicely lay next to each other. But the same thing already exists in the threefold organism of the human being. Consider the optic nerve. It belongs to the nerve sense system, but of course it could not survive if it were not nourished during sleep by the metabolic system if nourishment processes were not present in it, if it did not constantly get inhaled air through the spinal cord, and if a circulation process did not also take place there. This shows that in the human organism things really belong only for the most part to either the nerve sense, the metabolic, or the rhythmic system. The same is true in the social organism. It is necessary that the other two systems play into the economic organism, but along with all this, it is still true that the nerve sense system basically tends toward the head and that the nourishment and respiration of the head is provided in another way. This working together will take place in the true sense just because these three ways are created. 
It has always annoyed me when people speak of a division into three parts. The question is how must the three members, which are there anyway, relate to each other in a natural way, so that they can act upon one another appropriately. The spiritual cultural organism will be essentially based on freedom, but of course the economic life must also work into the spiritual cultural organism, otherwise the professors would have nothing to eat. But that will really work in, work in properly when it takes place from a different source, so that it becomes necessary to develop an economic organism with a different aim, also a spiritual cultural organism with a different aim, and then one having to do with the law. Only those make objections here who regard this threefolding as a partition. It is well known that this has frequently happened. I found one interpreter who gave lectures on the three parliaments of the social organism. Whoever thinks of it that way imagines something impossible, because there can be a parliament only of the nation, not of the free spiritual cultural life. There can only be the single individuality who creates a network of self-evident authority. In the economic realm, there can only be the associations. In the parliament, all the different functions will flow together, and the right rules will be established between the individual members of the social organism. Question. In the tenth lecture, the striving for gain was compared with the mass in the physical sense. Can one extend the analogy so that one can let work be a function between trade and the striving for gain? Rudolf Steiner. According to the energy formula in physics, E equals one-half mv2. The energy of the economy would be formulated in a similar way. The possible gains would be multiplied by a function of the rapidity of trade, E equals g times f of trade. Striving for gain must be multiplied by the rapidity of circulation. Then one will get the number for the work. This is valid for an individual product. If you get a certain profit from it, and you multiply it by the rapidity of the turnover, then you will have the quantity of the work. This amount of work becomes zero if you need to multiply the gain by zero, that is to say, when you sell directly. Zero equals g times zero. Question. Does the value of the precious stone in the crown of England correspond to the tension between it and the need for rarity? Rudolf Steiner The matter can be explained like that only by a different path, because the tension that arises through consumption is always the tension between the work done on a product of nature and the value that the work receives through the spiritual cultural order. In this case, for instance, in the case of the stone in the crown of England, one must, to begin with, not speak of it in a one-sided way. I ask you, what is it, then, actually worth? It is actually only something of value in a quite particular sense, indeed in the sense of a, particularly, of a particular spiritually permeated economic ordering through public opinion, that is, through spirit. One cannot at all speak of it in a way that it has really this value in itself, but only in a way that this value is attached to it by people's opinion. If one now bought it for what the seller demands, would one put him in the position to do as much work as he can for whatever he gets for it? Then, as if by an avalanche, the whole work organization would be created as a result. 
just as is the case in physics, where you have to take into account nothing apart from the mutual relationships involved when you allow an avalanche to be formed from a small snowball, then you need not change the formula, so do you not need to change the formula concerning economics because special conditions arise, among which, viewed purely externally, facts are created such as the following, that a very rare product is equivalent to a tremendous amount of work. That is so only because of its relationship to the economy. The end of Seminar 6 and the end of the book Rethinking Economics, Lectures and Seminars on World Economics held in 1922.